good morning. Welcome to South Bay this morning. My name is Greg, one of the pastors here at the church. Um, if you're new, we welcome you to, to our family, to our home. Uh, thanks for being here. And if you are new, one thing you uh, will learn about me over time is that I, I love to surf. I, I surf all the time. And, and I want to share with you a lesson that I learned early on when I was first learning to surf. See, after one of my first surf sessions, I uh, took off my wetsuit and I put it away in my, in my bag and I bundled it up, put it in my bag, and I put my bag away. And then I didn't take it out again until the next time I was going to surf, which was two weeks later. So two weeks later, I'm ready, I'm excited, Saturday morning to go out to surf again, and I open up my bag to get my wetsuit, and boom, the odor just punched me in the face. It was the worst thing I've ever smelt. And I learned a valuable lesson. Do not ever scrunch up and bundle up anything wet and put it in an enclosed container for an extended period of time. Just don't do it. And so now what I do, every time I surf, the first thing I do when I get home, I go straight to my bag or my container and I'll take out my wetsuit and I'll make sure to spread it out and expose it and make sure nothing is, is scrunched up, make sure everything is is spread out, and then I'll take my, my hanger, and I'll just make sure that I leave it out, spread out, exposed, so that the next time that I want to use it again, it's going to be clean, and it's going to be fresh, and it's going to be usable. I don't know if anybody's ever told you, church, that you smell. Has anyone ever told you that? <laughs> I don't know about that, James, but no, no, you do smell. You're either a stench to society or you are a fragrant aroma, the fragrant aroma of Christ. Here's what 2 Corinthians says about you, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. In other words, as a church, when we stay bundled up and, and, and huddled up together, we can become a stench to those around us. But when we spread out and we spread the knowledge of Christ, we are like a fragrant aroma to God. He loves that. Francis Chan, in his book, Crazy Love, puts it in much more pungent terms. He, he says the church is like a pile of manure. You keep us piled up, bundled up together, and we stink horribly. But he says you spread them out, and they bring life and growth and make everything better. Today, we are continuing on in our series called This is Home. And we've been celebrating the things that make this place home. We've talked about the hospitality of this house. We've talked about fellowship in this house. In the coming weeks, we'll talk about the, the study of the word and the worth of worship and the importance of serving and the power of prayer in this house. But today, I want to remind us that as much as this is home, this is home base. In other words, this isn't just a place where we should come to, but it should be a place where we go from. Not a place we just come and, and huddle up week after week, but a place we launch out from for the glory of Jesus. So I want to pray and ask the Lord to help, help us understand more of what that means, okay? So would you guys join me in a word of prayer? And so God, thank you so much, Lord, that we have these four walls, a place where we call home, 
place where we as a family can gather. And, and like Pastor Dave mentioned, thank you that we can do this in safety, that we can feel secure and, and have the freedom to worship you, God. But help us to see that there, are, there is a world beyond these walls that you have called us to. So God, I pray that you would speak to us and teach us what it means that this place is a home base. God, I pray that you would charge us up, rejuvenate us, fuel us, God. And God, I pray that as, as I speak this morning as your instrument, God, I pray that my words would fall flat, that this message would be unsuccessful, that not a single word would penetrate a heart but just bounce right off unless it's true. And if it's true, God, I pray that the words from, from your very heart would, would soak deep within our souls that it would stay with us and remain with us and it would transform our lives and our church so that we would be an impact to the world around us. So use this message for your glory, God. Speak to us. We're eager and we're desperate for your word. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a show of hands. How many, how many of you have started coming to South Bay Community Church within maybe the past year or so? If you, you're fairly new, we have a lot of uh, fairly new people here. Welcome to the family. Welcome to our home. Um, if you don't know, uh, it's important that every single one of us knows what the mission of this church is. Uh, our mission statement, uh, right from our website, reads like this. Here's our mission statement. Helping people all over the world who are far from God find and follow Jesus Christ. It's good, amen? It's good, uh, I wish we thought of it, but we didn't. This actually comes from the commission of Christ, the Great Commission 2,000 years ago. Nothing original about this. And so Matthew 28 is a verse you probably have heard in this church, and you will keep hearing it because this is the very mission that Christ has given us. And it reads like this. Right before he was ascended back in, uh, packed into heaven, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, Go and therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus made it very clear to his disciples his intent that the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, his gospel of grace was spread until all nations have heard. And he expressed his intent that this mission will be fulfilled, right? Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, he says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay, so there's certainty there. There, there will be a fulfillment of this mission. All nations will hear, and until then, I'm not coming back yet. So if he hasn't come yet, the task is not complete yet. If he hasn't come yet, then we're not done yet. We still have a task here on this earth. So he has a plan. We know it's going to be fulfilled. And the question is, church, family, will we get on board with what God's doing? Will we get on board? Right, so in the past couple of weeks, we've taken a look at the book of Acts. And we learned in the book of Acts that on the day of Pentecost, that, that was the day the church was birthed. It was born, right? And 3,000 people on that first day became converts. They believed in Christ as Lord and Savior. 
And then you go through that book of Acts, which is a historical account of the early church, and it documents the growth of the church. We see that the, the church kept growing. Why? Because the gospel kept spreading. People kept getting saved because they put their faith in Christ. So let me give you a quick tour through the book of Acts really quick to show you what was happening to the church. Acts chapter 2 says the Lord was adding to their number day by day. Acts chapter 6, the word of God increased. The number of disciples multiply. We go to Acts 9, it says the church continued to increase. Acts chapter 12, the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. Acts chapter 16, the churches increased in number daily. So all throughout the book of Acts, we see this truth that was true back then and is completely true still today. And it's this truth that nothing will thwart the spread of the gospel until all nations have heard. Nothing will stop it. And when I say nothing, I, I mean nothing's getting in its way. Let me, let me show you where I see that. In the book of Acts, write this down. If you're taking notes... Here's the first thing I'd love for you to write down. The gospel spread in spite of persecution. The gospel spread in spite of persecution. Okay, so after Jesus gives this great commission to the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, he says this one last thing. He kind of, he kind of gives his disciples this master game plan, right? And he says to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is literally seconds before he ascended back into heaven, and he says to them, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where they were at the moment, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Judea is the larger region in which Jerusalem was in. Samaria was the large region next to, uh, to Judea. So Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth is the end of the, of the earth. So what Jesus is doing, it's like kind of coach Jesus is gathering in the men, right? He's like, all right, guys, huddle in, <clears throat> huddle in, all right, take a knee. Here's the game plan. Here's the game plan. Here we are in Jerusalem. We're huddled up here in Jerusalem, and you're going to take the gospel. I'm going to hand it off to you, and you're going to rush into Judea and Samaria. You're going to preach it there, and then we're going to charge to the ends of the earth. Got it, guys? All right, here we go. Bring it in. One, two, three, Jesus, go. And they take the gospel, and they run to Judea and Samaria, right? Wrong. For the next seven chapters, seven whole entire chapters, nobody went anywhere. Nobody left Jerusalem until we get to chapter 8. Because right before chapter 8, the first Christian martyr, his name was Stephen, gets persecuted and stoned, killed for preaching the gospel. And all of a sudden, these believers huddled in Jerusalem realize we're not so comfortable anymore. And so what happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 1? I showed you Acts 1, verse 8. Let me show you Acts 8, verse 1. It says this, And Saul approved of his execution, Stephen's. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they all scattered throughout the regions of where? Judea. And where? Samaria, except the apostles. And so here's this great persecution that happens. We're not safe anymore. They go to Judea and Samaria. The apostles stayed right there in their community while the other believers went to these regions. 
these regions that Jesus happened to say, this is where you will go to preach the gospel. And so they go to Judea and Samaria. They're, 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 they're forced out of their homes because of the persecution. Their lives are at stake. They're forced out. But what do they do when they get to Judea and Samaria? They go into hiding. Look what verse 4 says. Acts chapter 8 verse 4 says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. <laughs> Did Jesus not say this in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? And here in Acts chapter 8 we see that, that it's happening exactly as Jesus said. This guy's got it rigged. Who is this Jesus guy? think he's God or something like how did how did he know this right and so here they are in in Judea and Samaria persecuted and yet still bold for their faith preaching the gospel now this is important because normally when we get persecuted for our faith it would be normal and natural for us to shake our fists at God and say God why is this happening like, why would you allow this to happen to me? I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to make you known, and you don't protect me? And so we start to question his reality or his love for us or his care for us or his ability to protect us. Why would you let this happen? And if that should ever happen to any one of you in here, that you should be persecuted for your faith, remember this truth, and don't ever forget it. I'll put it up for you. God's purpose is greater than Satan's persecution always. God's purpose is greater than Satan's persecution. Because if we believe what the word says, that God is able to work all things for good, for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose, then we have to believe that in that umbrella of all things is this subcategory of persecution. That falls within all things. And he's able to use even persecution for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. I love when I hear about Christians who, who get that, the sovereignty of God, even in persecution. There's a story of a Romanian pastor, Pastor Yosef Tson, and he was a pastor, especially during the years of communist Romania, and, and he would get interrogated like, time and time again, he would get arrested. They would interrogate him. They would question him. They would play these mind games with him, sometimes up to 10 hours a day, five days straight. Uh, they would threaten him by putting a gun to his head, threatening to kill him. Anything to break down this pastor, to get him to shut up about Jesus and get him to stop preaching the gospel. And yet, he had such a firm grasp on the sovereignty of God that there's nothing you could do to me that is one inch further than what God has allowed you to do to me. He said one time an interrogator threatened to kill him. He says, man, if you kill me, Jesus will be glorified and you're just ushering me into glory. He says, are you trying to threaten me with glory? It ain't happening. Kill me. And then there's another time he was captured and he was interrogated and they had a gun to him. And here's what he said to his interrogator. He wrote this down. He says, during an early interrogation, I had told an officer who was threatening to kill me. He says, sir, let me explain how I see this issue. Your supreme weapon is killing me. My supreme weapon is dying. See, here's how it works. Let me explain. You know that my sermons are recorded and have been spread all over the country. If you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. 
everyone will know I died for my preaching. And everyone who has the recording will pick it up and say, I, I better listen to this again because this man meant what he preached. He was willing to die for it. So, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than before if you kill me. And if you kill me, everyone will hear, and together, you and me, we'll conquer this country for Christ. So go ahead, kill me. And I love that, right? Because here's a guy who's basically saying, if you let me live, I'm just going to keep preaching the gospel. If you kill me, the gospel's just going to keep spreading faster and even further. So you choose how you want the gospel to spread. You want to kill me? He goes on to say, after I said this, the interrogator sent me home. Another officer later on was heard saying, we know that Pastor Yosef's son would love to die for his faith, but we are not so foolish that we should fulfill his wish. We are not so foolish that we should go ahead and kill him. And so he continued on to, to preach the gospel. But I love his theology, what he understood about God and what God has promised, that Jesus was right in Luke 21 when he says persecution will be a platform for our proclamation. Like persecution will only propagate the gospel. So what Satan tries to do to stop the spread of the church will only lead to the spread of the church. When Satan tries to stop the gospel, it will only result in the spread of the gospel. And I see that in the book of Acts. The gospel spread in spite of persecution. Let me show you another thing I see in the book of Acts. Write this down. The gospel multiplied in spite of division. The gospel multiplied in spite of division. I think it's kind of funny how sometimes enemies of God or haters of God will try to stump him, right? And so they'll ask silly questions. Like one of the questions, I've even asked this before when I was growing up. If God is all-powerful and almighty, could he create a rock so heavy that he himself cannot lift it? Right? And they're trying to stump God. I mean, that's just a logical fallacy. I mean, it's a silly question, really. But then you see Satan, and he too foolishly tries to stump God, and he'll try to thwart God's plans. And one of the ways that Satan will try to thwart God is by dividing his church. But I, I see that my God is so awesome and so sovereign that he can multiply even when Things are divided. There's a ministry here at the church called uh, Lifeguard Evangelism Ministry, and Annie Mason has been leading that for years. And for years, we would go out to uh, the Redondo Beach Pier, and we would go to Alondra Park, we would go to uh, Wilson Park. I know some of you guys are here because Lifeguard Ministry reached out to you, and, and so now you're part of this household. And and for years, they've been going out. And then last year, I, I gave a message called Loving Samaria. And I shared with you how um, Baycrest Care Center, which is right here in Torrance, it's a uh, care home for the elderly. They reached out to us and saying, hey, it'd be great to have some Christians come and just visit our residents and share with them the word of God and just fellowship with them. And ever since that message a year ago, the, the Lifeguard Evangelism Ministry has kind of shifted their focus. So instead of going out to the pier and to the park all the time, now they've been going every week to Baycrest Care Center. Here's a picture of some of the team. 
And so they've been kind of going there every week. So this, this past week, I text Annie, and I, I say, Annie, can you give me an update on the ministry? Um, how are things going there, and what's your schedule? And she texts me the schedule, but she says this. She says, well, we have one team going to Baycrest Care Center. We have team two going out to the Pier into the Parks. And this is all over text, right? So I'm getting this. And then she shows up in my office on Friday morning physically shows up at my office. She says, Pastor Greg, I feel like I need to explain to you why the ministry was divided. And, and it's almost like she was concerned that I would be upset that, that the ministry was being divided. And she goes, well, see, the thing is, not everybody on the ministry team feels called or led to sit with the elderly in the care home. There's people who still want to share the gospel, but they prefer to go out to the pier and to the parks. And she says, so I, I just felt it was better that maybe we create two teams, one to go to Baycrest, one to go out. And when she told me that, you know what I was thinking aside? I said, Annie, you divided the ministry? Awesome. That's awesome. Why? Because now we have two teams going to two different places where more people can be involved in the mission and more people can hear about Jesus. I think division can be multiplication in God's perspective. And I think sometimes Satan, unaware of how sovereign our God is, he will try to divide the church. And he will try to capitalize on our differences. And yet our God is greater. I see in the book of Acts, there's these two guys, Paul and Barnabas. These guys were like a dynamic duo. I mean, they were teaching and preaching, spreading the gospel. Paul's been going on these missionary journeys. And they were the ones who took the gospel beyond Judea and Samaria. They were going beyond and going to the ends of the earth. And so here they are in Acts chapter 15, and Paul and Barnabas are preaching and teaching in Antioch. And Paul's ready to hit the road again. He's ready to start his second missionary journey. So he says, Barnabas, let's, let's go. Let's keep on spreading this thing. And here's what happened. Acts chapter 15, verse 36 since after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now pause right there. Let me, let me explain what's going on. Paul and Barnabas are a team. And yet they wanted to take on this next missionary journey, this guy named John Mark. Bar Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark because John Mark was Barnabas' cousin, right? So I don't know, maybe there's some bias there, but he wants him to come. But Paul was like, no, dude, that, that guy ditched us back in Pamphylia. He left us hanging. He's like, let's not bring him. And so there's like all of a sudden this disagreement going on. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he could have left out, he could have, he could have left out this detail and not put their fallout on display. He could have protected their reputation, but by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God wanted Luke to include this next detail. Look at verse 39 as it goes on. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And here we see, just, this is just raw. This is their humanity coming up. 
I mean, these are godly men, but they had this sharp disagreement. They weren't fighting over doctrine, okay? They still both upheld the truth of the gospel. They just had differences on opinion. Barnabas really wanted to bring his cousin. Paul was like, no, the dude's going to ditch us again. And they, they, they were like butting heads, and they couldn't come to an agreement. None of them would give in, and so they just decided to part ways. And so Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go to... They go to Cyprus. Paul takes another guy named Silas. They go to Cilicia in Syria. And the devil is like, ha, ha, division. And God is like, ha, multiplication. Because now I got two teams, and the gospel is spreading further to more people, and I'm going to redeem this for my glory. And so, so what's the point here? What's my point here? Do people in the church have differences? Yeah. Do people in the church sometimes disagree? Unfortunately, yeah. Do we in the church still have sin and shortcomings? I hate to admit, but yeah. Is God still sovereign overall? Absolutely. And will God's word and his gospel keep spreading to the ends of the earth? Ain't nothing stopping it. Not even me, not even my sin or my shortcomings. Now, the Lord's still going to work on me. He still wants to sanctify me, and I'm still going to have to deal with consequences. But I'm not going to be able to stop the spread of God's gospel. This is his mission, and it will be accomplished. Now, I have to give you an update because we learn later in Paul's reading that, that he actually commends Barnabas for his life and his labor in the gospel. Praises God for Barnabas. Later on in one of his last writings, he, he says, I need John Mark with me right now. He's been so beneficial and helpful to my ministry. So we know that there was some sanctification and reconciliation that God was doing in them personally, but he was still spreading his gospel meanwhile. And so God's gospel will spread in spite of persecution, and God's gospel will spread in spite of division, it will multiply in spite of division. But here's one more thing I want to share with you today. Would you write this down? Here's the last thing I want to share. The gospel can advance because of obedience. The gospel can advance because of obedience. And here's, this is the good news I want to share with you, right? Because, see, God, God can reach people in spite of us. But wouldn't we rather God reach people because of us? Like, isn't that such a much better option? Like, persecution and division are things that will happen, and God can take these negative things and bring positive fruit from it. He can. But persecution and division aren't things anybody signs up for. Like, that's not something we, we, we would want to choose and say, yes, persecute us. Nobody's going to say, yes, please divide our, our house. So, like, we wouldn't choose it, but let me share something with you today that we can choose as a church. We can choose to go in obedience, and to volunteer ourselves, and to say, God, here I am. Here we are. Use us. Send us. We will go and make disciples of all nations. I mean, isn't that such a much better choice that, that I pray that for me and, and this household, we will choose to serve the Lord. 
We will choose to serve the Lord. We will go and make disciples of all nations. As the disciples were committed to being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that we church, we would say, we'll be your witnesses, God. We will in the South Bay, in America, and in Mexico, and to the ends of the earth. We'll go. We don't want to be forced out of this place because of persecution or division. We want to go because you launch us and we're ready. It's kind of like a prayer I used to pray. Right? I used to pray this all the time. I used to say, God, please make me humble. Just don't humble me. You guys ever pray like that? Like, because I realized there's two ways I could become humble. Like, I could be severely humiliated and therefore be forced to be humble, or I could just ask God to give me a humble spirit, and he hears my prayer and answers. There's two ways I could become humble. In the same way, the Great Commission is going to be fulfilled. The gospel will spread. People will be reached. We can experience it the hard way or through heartache, or we can willingly be a part of what God is doing and say, God, here we are. Send us. We want to be part of your mission. We get it. Give us a passion for your mission. Help us to be obedient to the Great Commission. Send us. And that has got to be what this house is about, what our home is about. We have to be about our Father's business. We've got to be about our Father's business. And that happens when we see this place where we gather not simply as home, but this is home base. It's not just a place we come to week after week, huddle up here, but this is a place where ultimately we go from. We get sent out. Send us. And so we see a lot of churches in this world. There are a lot of churches in our, in our community. And some churches are very inward-focused churches. And then there are churches who are very outward-focused churches. And so our question we have to ask ourselves is, what kind of house will this be? Will we be an inward church or will we be an outward church? And the answer is yes. Both. Because both are absolutely crucial and important for the cause of Christ. We, we, we should care about what happens on the inside. Why? Because that impacts our effectiveness, our effectiveness on the outside. We have to have a strong base inwardly so we have a strong place to launch people outwardly. Like we have to continue gathering in Jesus' name, because what's on the outside, really, church, that's the ultimate end. That's the ultimate end. That's the reason why we're here on this earth, so that the glory of God would go to people who are far from him. So that the glory of God would go beyond these walls to, to peoples of all nations and all communities. That's the ultimate end. But that's why we have to keep on gathering in here. Because the degree to which we achieve that end and the effectiveness to which we achieve it will depend on us committing regularly to gathering in here, not just home, but home base where we will be nourished by the word, where we will be encouraged by fellowship, where we will be invigorated by worship, where we'll experience the power of prayer. And once we are well-fed and rejuvenated and charged up and filled, we'll be ready to go and, and engage in the world out there and accomplish the mission of Christ, to reach our community and the people who are far from God in this nation, in that 
nation and help them to draw near to Christ and to walk with him. Both are crucial. So here's the game-changing question we, we, we all need to keep asking ourselves. And I pray that this question would be asked constantly in this house. That we would ask ourselves, how is what we're doing in here impacting the world out there? How is what we're doing in here impacting the world out there? And I want to encourage every believer, every ministry, every ministry leader, every servant, every small group, every life group, hula ministry, line dancing ministry, ukulele ministry, hospitality, pastors and staff, we constantly have to ask ourselves, how is what we're doing and this decision we're making, how is it lining up with our mission, which is the commission of Christ? How am I helping people in this city or in that nation find and follow Jesus? How is this contributing to the cause? Now, I thank God that there's a lot of groups and a lot of individuals in this church who get that. We, we get it. Many groups have been loving beyond their walls. And one group I want to share with you this morning is our uh, Friday night Filipino group. And they, they, they've been sharing with us this, these past couple of years things they've been doing. And we've heard about them ministering to prisoners in, in the Philippines. Uh, this past Christmas, I don't know if you've heard this, but this past Christmas, the whole group uh, gathered their resources, money from their own pockets. And they put together their money to, to send over to Pastor Rowell in Cavite City, and he, he sent it to their church. They sent it to their, their church because they learned that there's a lot of very poor families, families living in poverty who couldn't even celebrate Christmas the way everybody else was because Christmas in the Philippines is a huge deal. Christmas Eve and Christmas is a huge deal, and so they sent their resources to this church, and they were able with their, their money that they sent over to put together 44 Christmas baskets. And I'm not talking about little dinky handout goodie bags. I'm talking about nice baskets that they were able to hand out to families in the church and beyond the church. And here's the most important thing. Pastor Rowell, the pastor over there, is very intentional, and they assured us of this. That these weren't just handouts, but with every basket, the gospel is being delivered as well. That Jesus Christ is being preached with every basket. So here's a guy that received the basket. He's a cancer patient. His name is Jojo. This next picture, Pastor Well is with Jojo, and he gets this basket. Jojo was part of a worship band, popular worship band, and he kind of backslid, so he had stopped walking with the Lord but when he received this basket, his heart was revived. And he recommitted his life to Christ. And since then, he's been holding Bible studies again in his home. Next, next person that they were able to give to, another cancer patient, her name was Lou. And this is Pastor Roel giving this basket to Lou. And she received this basket with open hands. But more importantly, she received Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior with an open heart when the gospel was preached to her. She gave her life to Christ. She stepped into eternity. And, and this life group, you know, they told me, we, we told them that this is from South Bay Community Church, not the Filipino Friday night life group. This is from the family, from our family to theirs. And they were so thankful that they actually made up a, a, a banner and they wanted to, to thank you, church, you family. Thank you, South Bay Community Church, for spreading God's love. To God be the glory. 
Thank you for extending God's glory. And so here's an example of a group of people in this house who are thinking beyond these walls. How can we extend God's glory and God's love to people who, who need it right now? And so when Volcano Ta'al erupted a couple, few weeks ago, they were asking that question again. How can we impact the world out there? And so they thought we, we need to do something. By the way, this is not a black and white photo. This is a, a full-color photo. Those are the ashes that have devastated homes. 271,000 people at least have been affected. Thousands and thousands of people displaced from their homes. And it's not about just getting them back into their homes. Their livelihood has been destroyed. Their farms and their way of living and being sustained has been stripped away. So, so what do we do? And so this group came to um, Pastor, uh, Pastor Gary and they said, hey, could we, could we send some money? They're in desperate need of canned goods and clothes and hygiene. They're in desperate need of water. Could we just send them some money? And Pastor Gary came up with a great idea. He says, hey, listen, instead of just cutting a check, because we could do that, he says, why don't you guys hold just an emergency fundraiser? This was just a conversation we had last week. Why don't you guys hold a fundraiser? That way we can involve the whole family. And, and we can bring awareness to, to the whole church of what's going on in the Philippines. And people can contribute and be part of this love project. And then whatever the fundraiser raises, then as a church, then we'll match that. So we'll still give money, but let's get the family involved. And so that's why when you walked in this morning, you might have smelt that adobo going on and you, you saw those tables. That's what's going on. So I pray that you would realize that there are people devastated by this, but there are people among those people who are far from God. And I can assure you when we send the money over, Pastor Roel and their church, they're going to deliver the gospel. That's what has been promised us. They're going to give Jesus as they give these handouts. Next week, when you come to church, the Mexico team will be up. We're sending about 12 people on this team to Mexico, and they're going to have a fundraiser as well. And they're going to go, and they're going to build houses, and they're going to bring the gospel and extend the, the glory of God to Mexico. And I, and I pray that you would consider contributing to that as well. But, but here's what I want to challenge you with, church. That instead of just swiping your card or cutting a check, that, that you would engage spiritually in this mission, that, that when you swipe that card or you give that cash, that you would pray, God, as I sow the seed, would you take the seed and would you birth salvation in a number of souls? Help people who are far from God find and follow Jesus. Use this for your glory. And let's all be aware that there is a world who, who, who needs Jesus. Besides Mexico and besides the Philippines, we'll be going to East Asia this year we'll be going to Japan. We still got Robert and, and, and Sher- uh, Ken and Sherry in uh, Uganda. I spoke with a pastor from Argentina on Friday, so there's a chance we'll be going to Latin America soon. Uh, pastor Gary and I, actually, we were uh, planning to go to the Philippines to, to visit that church as well as other parts of the Philippines. Um, this is before the volcano erupted. Now we're hearing that it can erupt again. I think it's the category level four or five is about to erupt in the next few days. So we don't even know if we'll be able to go anytime soon. But our hope was to come back and, and develop partnerships so that we can launch more teams to the Philippines. But I want to ask you, church, would you consider this year, every single believer and follower of Christ, ask yourself, how can I engage in the mission this year? 
How can I be a part of what God is doing beyond these walls? And can I, can, can I just make this very clear? When we say engage in the mission, that doesn't require you going overseas and crossing any body of water. That doesn't require you to be a missionary. You know what else is on the other side of these walls? Your next door neighbor. That, that parent you sit with in the stands at your son's game. You know what's on the other side of these walls? The person you see at the gym every time you go there. You know what's on the other side of these walls? The person who may be pulling up right now to access the, the pet hospital next door. How will you interact? How will you engage with people with this, with this mission in mind? There are people who are far from God who need Jesus Christ. And so how will you be a part of the mission? Will we as a church say, here we are, send us? Because God is on mission, and we know how it ends, don't we? Like it's been revealed to us. It's been revealed. We know what the final scene looks like. In the last book, Revelation, in, in chapter 7, John gets a vision of what the final scene looks like. This is the end of the story. It's been given to us. And here's what he says, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. He says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what the end of the story looks like. People from every people group, tribe, tongue, language, worshiping our king. I want to close with this story. You know, um, I've taken perspectives with me or um, have been part of our missions training. Um, I've shared this before, but when my grandma passed away when I was 30 years old, I, I shared about how my grandma uh, was somebody I, I just loved. We would always go and visit her and my grandpa. Um, she'd always cook meals for us, she'd always take me and my, my sister to the park to play, and we stayed at her house. And I shared at the, at the funeral that I got to speak at, I shared with everybody there my greatest regret about my relationship with my grandma. And I shared that my greatest regret was that in my 30 years of knowing my grandma, I never had one conversation with my grandma. Not a single conversation with my grandma. Why is that? Well, my grandma grew up in a village in China where they spoke a certain dialect, Toisan. And she doesn't speak English. And I grew up in this city called Torrance, where I only learned English. And though I saw her every year, we could never have a meaningful conversation. And that broke my heart to see her pass and know that I never got that. But I rejoice. I rejoice that somebody chose to go beyond their four walls and bring the gospel in Toisan to my grandma in terms that she could understand. And I rejoice 
that somebody went beyond their four walls to bring the gospel in English to this American boy so that I could understand what Jesus did for me. And I rejoice that one day I'm promised that as I'm standing before the throne and I'm standing there in eternity, my grandma's going to be there. And think about this. When we're, in all, when we're in heaven, people represented from every tribe, tongue, and nation, we're going to be able to communicate with each other. Do you think about There's going to be a heavenly language where we can speak and understand each other. It's probably English, right? <laughs> Amen? According to my New American Standard, that's what Jesus spoke, so it's probably English. But whatever it is, we're going to be there, and for the first time ever, and for the rest of eternity, I'll be able to talk with my grandma. And we'll be able to catch up and I'll be able to share with her how much I loved her and how beautiful she is to me and how thankful I am for those meals and those times at the park. But more important than that, I rejoice that in one voice together with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation from Toisan to Torrance, we will join in that one voice and we will give glory where glory is due. And we will focus on the one who is at the center of our gospel and we will cry, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Salvation to the one who forgave me of my sins and washed me clean by his blood. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. God is on a mission, and it will be fulfilled. The question is, will he do it in spite of us, or God, will you do it because of us? Henry Blackaby says, he says, find out what God is doing and join him. Find out what God is doing and join him. Church, we, we know what he's doing. We know what he's doing question is family will we join him all in favor say amen. amen amen would you guys join me in prayer and as you bow your heads I realize that maybe there are some guests today or visitors who you were invited into the walls of this this house and so I thank God that you're here there's no accident that you're here somebody loved you so deeply that they want to extend to you God's love and his grace. And here's the thing. Here's what you're going to learn more and more if you keep coming to this church. God loves you so much he gave you his son, Jesus, to die on a cross so that you'd be forgiven of everything you've ever done. All your sins. The worst of them. And he died on a cross so that you would be forgiven. And he rose from the grave three days later to prove that he has the power to conquer death and to give life. And the Bible tells us if you believe he did that for you, you put your faith in that, then you have life forever, eternally. And that's all you got to do. You believe in this moment, you'll have eternity. You don't have to give money. You don't have to do this or that. But he wants to have a relationship with you right now. So I want to pray and I'll lead you in a prayer. And this prayer is a way to express your faith and say, God, I believe that. And I want you in my life. So I'll pray it out loud. You just pray in the quietness of your heart and talk to God as if you're talking straight to him because you are. And express how much you believe this. Father God, thank you for bringing me into this house today, your house. Thank you for loving me so much that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I know there's a lot to that that I, I'm yet to learn. But thank you for forgiving me. 
And thank you for rising from the grave to prove that you have power to give life. And so, Lord, I put my trust in that. I invite you into my life. Help me to keep growing in my understanding of you and my knowledge of you. But from this day forward, I want to walk with you. So thank you, God. Thank you for the promise of forgiveness and the promise of eternity. Thank you for your love and your grace. And so, Father God, we thank you so much again for the privilege of knowing you, our Father, and for being welcomed into your family, into your home. Now, God, would you send us and help us to share this great gospel of grace to those who need it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.